I want, I want, I want me, 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 mine, 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 now, now, now. You know you're responsible for what you hear. You know you're responsible for what you hear. Greetings and welcome to Thoughts from Meharry Head, the weekly podcast where I talk about, well, whatever happens to be bouncing around inside my head at the moment, but mostly focusing on constitutional issues and political decentralization. This is episode 72 of Thoughts from Meharry Head, and I appreciate you tuning in. This week, I'm going to talk about the authority of the federal government. What I'm about to say is going to shock a lot of people. The federal government does not have the authority to do most of the things that it does today. And when I say most things, I literally mean most things. Education, health care, occupational safety, supporting the arts, building roads, bridges and infrastructure, welfare, health insurance, kind of said health insurance when I said health care, but Social Security, uh, EPA, and environmental regulations. I could go on and on and on. Of course, most Americans that hear me say this are going to say, oh, this dude's nuts. He's some kind of right-wing, anti-government wacko. Because we've been taught that the federal government can and should do all of these things and more all of our lives. But if you actually read what the supporters of the Constitution wrote, you will come away with a far different view of America's constitutional system than the one you got in your high school civics class or your history class or from your college professor. I'll never forget the first time that I actually read the Kentucky and Virginia resolutions. It was about, I guess, about six years ago now. I was sitting on my couch And I'm reading these documents that were penned by Thomas Jefferson and James Madison, and my mind was completely blown. They were talking about nullification and and the limited authority of the federal government. I'd never heard any of this, and I went to college. I took college history. Nobody ever told me any of these things. Now, the beautiful thing is, in the age of the Internet, we have access to all of these source documents right at our fingertips. I mean, we can read the very words that supporters and and opponents of the Constitution wrote. And when we actually take the time to do this, like I said, we will come away with a completely different understanding of what the federal government should and should not do. We can look at exactly how the Constitution was sold and on what basis it was ratified. It is undeniable the supporters all said that the Constitution was creating a limited federal government. Now, when I talk about this, I usually use Federalist 45. James Madison penned this one. Uh, The Federalist Papers are are a known source. Um, And Madison in that, he said, the powers 
delegated by the proposed Constitution to the federal government are few and defined. And he said, those which remain with the states and the people are numerous and indefinite. And he went on in Federalist 45 to explain actually the scope of, of federal power and of state power. And he said, most everything belonged in the realm of the states and the people. I'll post this, uh, this excerpt from Federalist 45 in the show notes so you can actually read it. But the Federalist Papers aren't the only source. In fact, it's arguable that they aren't even really the best source. They, they weren't nearly as influential at the time uh, as people like to think and, and as influential as they are today. But there's all kinds of, of uh, source documents that we can find that were written by supporters of the Constitution that made this very same argument. In fact, one of the best explanations of, limit, of the limits on federal government was penned by a Pennsylvanian named Tinch Cox. He was a prominent advocate for the ratification, and he later served as Secretary of the Treasury. And he wrote three essays that were published in the Pennsylvania Gazette in early 1788 under the pen name of Freeman. The purpose of these essays was to counter this idea that opponents of the Constitution were throwing around, that it would swallow up the states, that the federal government would destroy state sovereignty. As Cox put it, he would set out to, quote, exhibit clear and permanent marks and lines of separate sovereignty, which must ever distinguish and circumscribe each of the several states and prevent their annihilation by the federal government or any of its operations. So Cox wanted to prove and show that the federal government was indeed limited and that it had limited authority and it would not swallow up the authority of the states. And he was quite emphatic about it. Listen to what Cox wrote. The matter will be better understood by proceeding to those points which shew that as under the old, so under the new federal constitution, the 13 United States are not intended to be and really are not consolidated in such manner as to absorb or destroy the sovereignties of the several states. Now, a few months ago, I guess about a month ago, I wrote an article talking about sovereignty in the American political system, and I'll link to that in the show notes page. And I explained that the sovereign in the system is the people, and the people act through the existing political societies, the states. Cox is making this point, and he's saying that the new federal constitution would not destroy the sovereignty of those original political societies. The thrust of Cox's argument was that the system of government proposed by the Constitution would not be able to operate without the states because the federal government was strictly limited to its enumerated powers, and it lacked the authority to do many of the things necessary to maintain a political society. Since the federal government couldn't act, the states would have to. He drove this point home by listing 10 broad areas where the federal government has no authority to act. And a bunch of these are self-evident, but he included a long list in his 10th point that drives home the extremely limited nature of the federal government. Now, just listen to all of the things Cox said the federal government would not be able to do. He said, they cannot interfere with the opening of rivers and canals, the making or regulation of roads, except post roads, building bridges, erecting ferries, establishment of state seminaries of learning, libraries, literary, religious, trading, or manufacturing societies, erecting or regulating the police of cities, towns, or boroughs, creating new state offices, building lighthouses, public wharves, county gales, that's jails, markets, or other 
public buildings, making sale of state lands and other state property, receiving or appropriating the incomes of state buildings and property, executing the state laws, altering the criminal law. Now get this, nor can they do any other matter or thing appertaining to the internal affairs of any state, whether legislative, executive, or judicial, civil, or ecclesiastical. So Cox is making my point. The federal government is not authorized to do all of the stuff that it does. It's not authorized to do anything appertaining to the internal affairs of any state. And that's really almost everything. In his second essay, Cox approaches the issue from the other side, and he talks about the things that the state governments must or may do, again, because the federal government's not authorized to do them. And, uh, on that list, you'll see many of the same things, but you also see some new things he mentions. For instance, marriage is something that's the purview of the states. And he concludes by saying, in short, besides the particulars enumerated in the Constitution, everything of a domestic nature must or can be done by them, the states. Now, as James Madison asserted, to properly interpret the Constitution, we must seek to understand those who ratified it. They ratified it on the basis of the arguments people like Cox made. Cox's essay makes it clear that the federal government was only intended to exercise limited delegated powers, and most of the authority was remaining with the states and the people. The states later ratified the Tenth Amendment, and they made this implicit construction explicit. So no, the federal government does not have the authority to do the vast majority of things that it does today. Well, that's it for this episode of Thoughts from Meharry Head. We're another 10 minutes closer to freedom. I really appreciate you listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, do me a favor and spread the word. And feel free to send me any thoughts or ideas at michael.meharry at 10th Amendment Center. And if you haven't done it already, please head over to iTunes and subscribe to the podcast for free. Thanks again for listening, and I'll talk to you next week.